0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. My brother and sister-in-law got married on the first Saturday in uh, June in Connecticut about nine years ago, while I was while I was in seminary. And for their rehearsal dinner on Friday night, um, they had planned on having the event. Um, at At a beach, under a tent. Well, they didn't realize that it was going to be one of the rainiest weekends that I think Connecticut has ever seen. Sure enough, during the rehearsal at the church, the heavens opened and we were all dodging under umbrellas from church to cars, cars to the beach, beach to the tent. I remember getting out of my car at the beach and stepping into six inches of water, The pouring rain kept all of us under those tents like um, fresh meat trapped just for the mosquitoes who were having a field day. And there we were, um, trapped under this tent with mosquitoes, and after dinner, there was a time when anyone could go up to a microphone to tell a story about the happy couple or to give a toast or pray a blessing over them. And we did not expect in the slightest that one of the people that would get up to go to the microphone was actually going to be my five-year-old nephew. Very precocious, very smart, and unfortunately, he has also been given the gift of gab that seems to run in my family. There are at least three preachers and counting. Well, young Jackson has a flair for the dramatic. He got up to the mic, he grabbed it, and it wasn't until he was about 10 minutes into his little speech that we'd realized that we'd forgotten the cardinal rule of an open mic, which is never give up control of the mic itself. We couldn't interrupt him, he had a captive audience. And so he went on and on, talking about how there were these good guys. You couldn't see them because they were very, very tiny. These good guys started to battle the bad guys, but the bad guys weren't really bad guys. The good guys just thought that they were bad guys. And the good guys, when they fought the bad guys, they did all this harm. They hurt the area around them, and that was not a good thing. Like a truly good speaker, he became aware of the fact that he was losing his audience. So he started to speak more quickly, and then he realized he needed to finish it. So he concluded with a dramatic flourish, all of this is going on right now in my throat. (laughs) and he'd eaten the carrot cake and he had a relatively decent idea of what was going on biologically when he ate the carrot cake. And then he was on a double dose of Benadryl, so I don't think he was really responsible for his actions. But he wanted us to know it was all about him. And for those 15 minutes during my brother's rehearsal dinner, it was not about the happy couple. It was all about little Jackson. Well, Jesus... In our gospel lesson today, was teaching with his disciples. They had entered into a synagogue in Capernaum on the Sabbath, and Jesus was given the opportunity to teach. And we don't get to hear the content here in Mark's gospel of what he was saying, what passage he was given from the Old Testament, and what he told the people when he exposited from it. We just hear their reaction. But we know from Luke's gospel that he very often was saying something similar to what Jackson was saying. This is all about me. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about the promises that God makes to his covenant people, Israel. And then in the New Testament, we see how God makes good on those promises, not just to Israel, but to people of all nations through the person and work of Jesus Christ. All of scripture points to Jesus, who is the word of God himself. And Jesus was very likely teaching this fact in that synagogue that day long ago. We know that one of the written down sermons that we have in Luke's gospel, based on an Old Testament passages, was one where we see Jesus declaring today, The scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All of this is going on right now. That's probably what he said to them. No wonder that people were astonished at the way he taught. No wonder people thought he was crazy or a blasphemer. No wonder that people tried to kill him when he preached in his hometown of Nazareth. Because if he was not who he said he was, if Jesus is not who he claims to be, then he is a blasphemer. He is arrogant to the uttermost. But we know, we know that Jesus is telling the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ is the word itself who was in the beginning with God, who was God and who became flesh and dwelt among us. God's written word, Scripture, bears witness to Jesus, who is the eternal word made flesh. And it is then, as this eternal word, the Son of God, that Jesus in that synagogue in Capernaum long ago caused an incredible reaction from the congregation. Not only were they astonished at his teaching, but one person in particular, one entity, let's just say, found itself for the first time in the literal presence of God. And that entity belonged to a totally different kingdom, the kingdom of Satan. And that entity cried out in objection to the truth of who Jesus is and to the truth of what he was saying. Through the mouth of the man that he possessed, an unclean spirit shouted, What have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? This demon claims to know who Jesus is. You are the Holy One of God. As if that supernaturally given knowledge could spare him from being commanded to relinquish the man that was under his power and sway. No uncleanness can stand for long in the presence of God's holiness because evil is totally opposite to God. Like the poles of a magnet, they repel each other. They jump apart. When the prophet Isaiah was confronted by God's holiness, In the vision that he saw of heaven, he falls down. In the presence of holiness, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Jesus' holiness brings us that truth and that realization that we are not holy. We are not like him. The holiness of Jesus brings us to our knees in repentance for those sins that we are aware of, those things that we know we have done. And this total opposition between holiness and unholiness is good news for us because we know that, um, we know for sure, we have that assurance that one day our sin will end completely. Jesus is Lord not only over those sins that we can recognize and list in our minds or in our hearts or out loud. He is Lord over our secret faults, the sins that we might not have the courage to say out loud or the things we might not even be aware of. Good news for us because Jesus is Lord. We see by his actions 2,000 years ago in Capernaum. That we too, like this man possessed, are not so far gone in sin that Jesus cannot save us. Though we might see ourselves drawn to sin again and again, we might feel as though we're caught in its death grip. As though we cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. There is hope for you and there is hope for me. As the great Charles Spurgeon wrote of this passage from Mark, Oh, the comfort which lies in the thought that Jesus still chooses to save persons of whom this wretched being is the fit emblem and representative. O oh, you vilest of the vile, here is hope for you. Because he is the word of God, the son of God. Jesus, by a simple word from his mouth, delivered the man in that synagogue from the oppression of evil, from that possession by an unclean spirit. All he did was command, and the spiritual force was defeated. And in this moment, when the freed man is gasping for breath, on the floor of the synagogue with a new lease on life, with a new vista opened up around him, The people in the congregation cannot help but marvel at Jesus and at the authority that he has. Jesus has authority, and his teaching and exorcism in this passage display the incredible power that he has as the Son of God, the true King of Israel. He has authority in heaven and on earth. He teaches with authority. He casts out evil with authority. And most importantly to us as individuals, he has the authority to forgive us. Jesus' heavenly authority lends teeth to the very fact of his forgiveness of us. I think about this kind of authority, when I think about who has the power to say, I love you, to me. Tis the season, isn't it? Well, when I was, the men haven't realized it yet, ladies. They don't know that Valentine's Day is <laughs> It is. Valentine's Day is coming up. Now you know, men. Um, when I was a zealous teenager, about 15, my family moved from Pittsburgh to Boston, and I found myself transferring from one youth renewal group to another one. And I left behind all of my friends and I was starting to put down new roots. But in this new group, I wasn't really sure what to do when people I just met wanted to come up to me and they would say to me very cheerfully, that they loved me, I love you, I love you. I thought, I remember thinking to myself, just wait till you get to know me. I figured they'd want to reassess. Not to disparage them. What they meant was, I like you. We'll have fun together. You're my kind of person. Those are great things. But that's different from the depth of love that we can have. Um, The difference in the depth of love that comes from really knowing someone. On one level, I knew that those words in their mouths didn't mean as much to me. As coming from those who knew me well with death and with time and with experience. My voice teacher in New York City during my brief stint as an actor once said to our class, beware of any boyfriend or girlfriend who says to you, I love you. She said, run. <laughs> Because, from the person that you hope will love you for the rest of, the, of your life, I love you might not cut it. I love you is as cute and as meaningless in a lifelong relationship as a candy heart that says I L U V U. If you're married, think about your marriage. You might have said, I love you at the beginning. But now, after years of being together and staying together, I hope and pray that when you say, I love you to each other, it carries behind it weight and authority, the kind of authority that comes from years of forgiveness and forbearance. You have seen more of each other than anyone else. Together, you have weathered all sorts of trial and tribulation, grief, Financial ups and downs, children, adult parents, arguments, perhaps, and I hope not, but perhaps even infidelity. You have weathered it. You know everything about that other person, and you still love them. You have forgiven them. Well, this Jesus, the one who has authority over heaven and earth as the King, the Son of God, the one who teaches with authority and who by the word from his mouth can call out all from us that is not right. This Jesus looks down at us in all of our sinfulness and with divine omniscience. He sees us and he knows us better even than our spouse. And he does not condemn us. He who could be against us Is actually for us. Jesus' I love you comes from the depth of his knowledge of us. And Jesus' I love you caused him to bear in his own body the consequences of our sin. Jesus brought his I love you to the cross, where his forgiveness and forbearance come from the very depths of his being to wring out throughout time and space to us today. Scripture is all about him and the son as the son of God and Jesus has given it all up for us just to say with authority I forgive you. I love you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, call out all within us that is not holy, not clean, not true. Give us even that gift, the grace to repent. O eternal word, speak over us your words of love that come from the depths of your being and the weight of your sacrifice for us. I love you. We give you thanks and praise for your love, and we ask this in your name. Amen.